realign us uh, to celebrate who you are. Lord, we uh, remember at this time uh, the changing of seasons. We thank you, Lord, uh, that we can uh, go about our work uh, in anticipation of harvest. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless what has been sown. We thank you for the harvest that has come and that will come. And we pray that you would help us to see how all of creation uh, uh, brings forth your praise, that you are the God who provides. And we pray that uh, we would not be negligent or presumptuous, but that we would be people uh, who see our dependence, but also your goodness. We pray, Lord, as well uh, for students that will be returning to their studies. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them and that you would give them a sense of appreciation for the opportunity to learn about the world that they live in, uh, to see the hand of their creator in the orderliness of uh, the world, to see that uh, uh, the natural world is something that can be studied and understood, that you have made things so that we can trace your handiwork. And we pray that you would excite students as they seek to put uh, their minds to work uh, to be able to glorify you with their thoughts. And we pray that you would uh, help them uh, to make sense and to apply your truth uh, in the world that they live. Lord, we pray for teachers that you would instill in them uh, uh, an excitement and uh, uh, a sense of privilege uh, that they have to train up young ones and uh, others in uh, the knowledge of the truth. And we pray that you would give them a sense of perspective uh, that even in this duty, uh, they can be serving uh, their Lord and Savior. Lord, uh, we pray that you would be with those who are unable uh, to gather together uh, week by week. We pray, Lord, for those uh, um, who are unable to gather because of uh, health or their age or um, uh, other reasons. We pray that you would help them uh, not to grow discouraged, uh, but to be thankful uh, that you are a God who draws near uh, wherever they are. And we pray that you would help us to be remembering one another in prayer. We remember, Lord, those in nursing homes, and we pray uh, for those whose health is weak. Uh, we pray that you would grant to them uh, comfort uh, in their time of uh, weakness. We pray, Lord, as well for those who are wrestling with uh, anxiety and, and with a, a sense of disillusionment, and we pray that you would help them uh, to be able to cling to you and to your word when things around them seem so dark. So, Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us in all the trials of life, uh, to be people who are able uh, to point uh, to the uh, God of all hope and to be able uh, to come alongside one another. Bless us as we turn to your word now, we pray. Take away our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn again in our Psalters uh, this time to Psalm 75. Psalm 75, and uh, this is a psalm uh, that does call attention to the fact that the arrogant uh, are being denounced and that God will uh, bring judgment, uh, that those who think they have a full control of things may find that uh, they are uh, not ultimately uh, the source and pillar of life stability. Uh, it says that the Lord uh, will bring his judgment uh, uh, there in verse 2, I choose the appointed time, I judge with justice sure. So while God may not judge immediately, 
Uh, his judgment is still nevertheless certain, and that must be what shapes the way that we live our lives. God will set all things right. Uh, uh, God is the judge. He raises one and puts another down. And ultimately, those who live in defiance of God uh, will be met with God's uh, judgment in the end. Well, let us uh, sing verses 1 to 10 to God's praise. Please turn with me in our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10 and beginning our reading at verse 35. In the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 846. Mark chapter 10 and beginning our reading at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, that is Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. 
Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became, began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last time you remember we were together, we were looking at how as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, Jesus was preparing his disciples for what they would meet at in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus predicted his own death. Uh, He predicted that he would be rejected, but more than that, that he would suffer and die uh, and ultimately rise again on the third day. But we were highlighting as we looked at that passage that Jesus' purpose for telling the disciples these things was not simply to tell them ahead of time uh, what would soon take place, but more than that, so that the words that Jesus was saying would shape their understanding of what would later take place. That Jesus' path of ultimately going to Jerusalem to die would be something that they understood was the work of God. And that Jesus understood that and was embracing it himself. That Jesus was going through these uh, um, uh, experiences ultimately to bring about uh, the work of God. But as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, the very center of the religious life of the people of God. As Jesus is on this path and he's been teaching his disciples so much about the kingdom of God. We find that this is actually an occasion which the disciples are on a different wavelength. All this talk about the kingdom, all this attention about Jerusalem is making the disciples think about Jesus establishing his reign in a very political and concrete way very shortly. And so as we come to this passage this morning, we want to see how the disciples are looking at things in a very different light, as has happened already. When Jesus has mentioned his prediction, the disciples reveal very shortly thereafter that they're thinking very differently. And this is uh, very much the same thing. And so Jesus here is trying to teach his disciples what is to be the mindset of his disciples. Those who are in his kingdom are to be focused not on self, but on being servants. And we want to think about that in two thoughts this morning. We want to think about the desire for glory or the desire for greatness. And then secondly, we want to think about the display of glory or the display of greatness. Well, first we have the desire of these disciples. It tells us there in verse 35 that James and John came up to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
And Jesus here entertains uh, their request. Jesus allows them to ask what it is that they want. And here they are going to reveal, they're going to shed light on what is the motive of their heart. What is it that they are really interested in? But even before we get there, uh, that's a good question uh, for us to all wrestle with ourselves. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? When you think about your own life, the disciples here are showing their own ambition. What is it that they want? What is it that they're seeking? What is it that would make them content and happy? Uh, Jesus says, what do you want? But that's a, a question that every one of us should think about. What is it that I want in life? What is it that I'm aspiring after? What is it that I'm seeking uh, in this world? And if we're not able to articulate it, it might leave us uh, with a sense of ambiguity as to what it is we're living for. But if we are able to give some answer, what is it that I want? What is it that is important to me? What is it that I'm striving after? It begins to help us understand ourselves. We begin to know who we are by our own motives and our own longings. And here Jesus is giving them an opportunity. Tell me, what is it that you want? And here they, they give expression to what it is that they want. They say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one in your left in your glory. Again, Jesus has spoken a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. If I am doing these signs, it is a sign that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus has come to establish God's reign on this earth. And with all of this talk about the kingdom of God, the disciples here are thinking, surely going to Jerusalem is going to usher these things in, in a, in a quicker way. We're very close now to the establishment of Jesus's kingdom uh, in concrete terms. And so they ask Jesus, when that happens, when you're in your state of honor, when you're exalted before men, promise us that we will have positions at your left and at your right, that we will be sharing in your glory. They're asking for uh, a, a seat uh, of honor in the king's court. They're asking to be those who participate in the glory of Christ's kingdom. And so here it is, uh, what they are making known. But Jesus tells them that they don't know what they're asking for. He says in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? So Jesus challenges their desire uh, that they don't even understand what they're craving after, what they're seeking after. Uh, they're so mumbled or uh, jumbled together in their, their line of thinking. But he tells them this by drawing attention again something to himself. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? You want to share in my state of glory. Are you going to drink what I'm going to drink? Are you going to be uh, passing through the waters that I'm passing through? Jesus here is calling attention to his glory. They said, when you come into your glory, remember us. Let us share in your glory. And Jesus is saying, do you realize that what I'm going to go through, what my glory, the nature of what my glory will be and how it is that I will be glorified. And so he asks them about 
their knowledge of the cup that he drinks. And are they going to drink it themselves? Now, when you think of a cup, the, the nature of the cup is based on the contents in the cup. If someone gives you a cup of water, you're going to be refreshed. Your thirst is going to be quenched. But if someone gives you a cup of poison, then it's not going to have a positive effect. It's going to have a negative effect. It may kill you. Uh, it'll, it'll harm you. And so when we think about a cup that Jesus is talking about here, the cup all depends what is in that cup to understand the nature of what Jesus is talking about. And it's true that when we look in scripture, there are occasions uh, where the cup represents something positive. The cup always represents something that God has allotted to someone, something that God has appointed for some. And so you think of Psalm 23, that my cup runneth over is the idea that God has provided me with joy in abundance. I'm overwhelmed with the blessings of God. But the cup primarily, predominantly in scripture is used as a picture to represent God's allotted judgment coming against the wicked. We just sang it there in Psalm 75. It says, it is God who executes uh, judgment uh, by putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it, and all the wicked of the earth shall uh, drain it down to the dregs. Jeremiah speaks in a similar way. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So in scripture, when we hear the language of the cup, it's not necessarily a good thing. It means God's allot allotment to someone. It may be good or it may be bad. And uh, to understand the difference is what is in that cup? What are the contents of it? And here we see that it is oftentimes a note of judgment. And in context here, how are we to understand Jesus' own uh, d designation, my cup? Well, Jesus has just been talking about his own suffering, his rejection. He's been talking about his death. Jesus is explaining he is going to do the work that God has given him. But he is going to receive a cup of judgment. He is going to go through a trial and that's why Jesus is calling attention. Do you understand what I'm going to pass through? The same thing is with the baptism that Jesus talks about. That he is going to pass through. In the Old Testament, you have the idea of the waters rising up or passing through the waters is the idea of going through a time of trial. And so when Jesus says, are you going to share in my baptism? Are you going to be baptized like I'm baptized? Jesus again is calling attention to his work. But the disciples don't get that. When Jesus asks the question, the disciples assume he must be talking about a cup of blessing. He must be talking about something positive. And so they confidently assert, yes, we are able. We're able to participate and to share in whatever you share in yourself. And Jesus goes on and you notice how he he clarifies, he qualifies that in one sense, they will share in his cup. They will share in the trials and the suffering 
and all that is accomplished in Christ, but in a very distinct and different way. That what they pass through is not to cover their sin, it is not to atone for their sin, but they will share in the suffering of their Savior. And so Jesus here is trying to draw attention to something of his own glory, even as they ask uh, to be raised up and exalted themselves. So Jesus concedes, but also highlights that there's a difference between the two of them. But all of this is setting a setting, because eventually the other disciples discover what has just happened. Two of them took the arrogant step of trying to put themselves forward in a preeminent way. That two of them tried to usurp the others, that tried to get ahead of them and be exalted above them by being the ones closest to the king in his kingdom. And so it tells us that the others, when they found this out, became very angry. And they were angry, no doubt, because they themselves shared that same ambition of preeminence. They wanted to be closest to Christ. They wanted to be exalted in his kingdom. You remember just back in chapter 9, it tells us that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. They were all wanting to assert themselves in a preeminent way. Me first. That they wanted to lift themselves up and saying, I'm better than you. That I deserve to be glorified in a way that you don't. And so they were all uh, upset uh, as a result. Not just because of what they had attempted, but because it was exposing something of their own uh, interests as well. So the disciples, uh, we see something here, not just unique about James and John. They were trying to be exalted in Jesus' kingdom. But we see something that is true of the human nature, that we're all bent with an interest on our own glory. That our interests center and orbit around ourselves. And that we want ourselves put forward and lifted up above others. And that is uh, something that the disciples shared, and that's something that we see in human nature. There was a Christian counselor that was uh, making light of this fact, but showing how it's true in our everyday experience. He said, think about a scenario where you are tasked with serving ice cream. So you prepare a bowl for yourself, and you prepare a bowl for someone else. And then you're carrying those two bowls. And just before you present the bowl to the other person, he says, do you not find yourself looking down and looking at which one is the bigger bowl? And how there is still a temptation, even over a bowl of ice cream, to say, I deserve more. That I'm going to reserve the bigger one for me, and I'll give you the lesser one. That even in something as mundane as ice cream, the human heart can still say, me first. That I'm, I'm better than you. And I deserve a better treatment than you. Or if we can get a little bit more sophisticated, you think about your everyday experience on the road. You think about how in spite of the road rules, how often people drive with a me first mentality. I'm better than you. And so I'll go through this light. I'll go through this roundabout. I will assert my dominance over you. There is this inclination that is absorbed and interested in ourselves to the detriment of others. I want to be lifted up and I want to be above others beneath me. And so here uh, we see that happening with the disciples. 
Two of them tried to take advantage of an opportunity, and they wanted to be exalted uh, above even the rest. But when this happens, this self-absorption, what happens? If I'm, if I'm focused on myself, it's going to breed animosity with others because I'm trying to put them down in order to raise myself up, that my interests are selfish and not concerned about others. But more than that, when I'm focused on myself like this, it is ultimately idolatry because my concerns are primarily me and I live neglecting God. I'm more concerned about my wants than about God's will. And this is showing something of the corruption of our human desires. These disciples here are trying to be exalted. But what are they not doing? They're not focused on what Jesus is about to go through. Jesus has just told them, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. And the disciples say, when you go into your glory, when you become king, can we have a position of honor? They're missing what Jesus is doing. They're not focused on the works of God. They're focused on themselves. And this is, uh, again, something of their own bentness. So there's a desire uh, for glory. The disciples are bent in on themselves. They give expression to that. But Jesus himself also challenges their notion as well, saying that they don't understand the glory that Jesus is going to accomplish. They don't understand the work that he has come to do. But in light of their desire, uh, Jesus also gives them a uh, description about true glory. He displays for them true greatness. As mentioned, when we are bent in on ourselves, if I'm living my life with me as a center, it is going to breed animosity. It's going to breed division with my neighbor it's going to separate people. And you can see that already starting to happen here with the disciples. The disciples became angry with James and John. You can imagine how quickly things are going to disband here in the disciples. And now Jesus intervenes so as not to allow that to happen. Instead of bitterness settling in in the 12, Jesus speaks to the situation in order to bring uh, healing. It says Jesus called them to him. Anytime Jesus calls his disciples, it is for the purpose of teaching and clarifying something important. They need to get this right. And so he calls them to himself and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Maybe we live in the 21st century and we hear the language of servant leadership all the time and we think of being a servant as just normal. It's not normal. It is, it is a mindset that is built off of a worldview. It is built off of the influence of Christianity. What is going to cause